We're in the midst of the book of Daniel. In Daniel chapter 5, we're introduced to a new king in Babylon. His name is Belshazzar, and we're going to get to him in just a moment. But before we do that, one of the things that makes Daniel chapter 5 sort of unique is that Daniel chapter 5 is the source, or at least to some degree, the source of of some phrases that we use today uh, in our culture, uh, in history. Uh, Things like uh, the handwriting is on the wall, or uh, weighed and found wanting, or your days are numbered, or even the party is over. All these can find, to some degree, their uh, source from Daniel uh, chapter 5. Another interesting thing about Daniel chapter 5, since we're introduced to King Belshazzar here of Babylon, is that uh, Daniel, probably as much as any other book throughout history, gave critics of the Bible uh, an opportunity to uh, basically say, you know, well, here's an example of an error in the Bible or where the Bible's wrong and this is why the Bible's not the word of God, it's just the word of man. And one of those instances was Daniel chapter 5. Up until 1853, there was no evidence that there ever was a King Belshazzar in Babylon. Up to 1853, uh, all that history knew was that Nabonidus was the last ruler of Babylon. So up until 1853, uh, for those who wanted to attack the Bible, it gave them uh, a field day of saying, see, the Bible's wrong, there was no Belshazzar, Nabonidus was the last ruler of Babylon. In 1853, an archaeological discovery was made that not only unearthed the fact that Belshazzar was at that moment a co-regent ruler with Nabonidus in Babylon, but it referenced him over a hundred times. And so all of a sudden, the scholars had to go, well, maybe we were wrong about the book of Daniel and about Belshazzar. And it just reminds me, you know, I don't like to get into debates and, and, in a sense, arguments with people about the Word of God. Um, but I, I will say this, that uh, when I do come across folks who say, well, one of the reasons why I don't believe the Bible is because it has errors in it. Uh, at this point in my life, and I've done this now for probably about the last 15 years of my life, if I have a Bible close at hand, I just take it, I hand it to them and say, Show me where the error is. And 99 and 9 tenths percent of the time, they can't even point to where an error in the Bible is because, for the most part, many of them are just passing on what they have heard and they've never really checked it out for themselves. And I just challenge folks like that, if you think there are errors in the Bible, fine, why don't you study it for yourself and, uh, and see where that leads And many folks who have started out on that path, say like a Lee Strobel, ends up figuring out that the Bible really was the Word of God, or Josh McDowell, or other people down through history who actually started out trying to disprove the Bible, or found finding errors in it, and come to find out by their own study that that simply was not true. But that's not what you guys are here for tonight. You're here to study Daniel chapter 5. So, let's dive into it tonight, as again we are introduced to King Belshazzar in verse 1. 
Um, his name means may Bel protect the king. There were two primary deities of the Babylonians. There was Nebo, uh, and so Nebuchadnezzar's name meant may Nebo, the one deity, uh, one of the two top deities of Babylon, may Nebo protect the king. And Belshazzar's name was simply may Bel, the other great deity of Babylon, protect the king. As we're going to see tonight, neither Nebo or Bel could protect their kings because they didn't exist. They were false gods. And the Bible says King Belshazzar prepared a great banquet for a thousand of his nobles and he was drinking wine in front of them all. Now we're going to learn a little bit more about this great banquet and it was really an extravagant banquet. Uh, in fact, it was very unusual in that day and in that culture to have women as part of the banquet. Because if you even remember in the book of Esther, uh, when the book starts out, that Vashti, the queen of Ahasuerus, isn't invited to the great feast or banquet. Usually women were, in a sense, in that culture, kept separate at these times. So the fact that all these women and concubines and everybody was invited, I think begins to show us what kind of the party this really was, and uh, the fact that there was just an awful lot of extravagance going on here. The other thing I want to point out is that the Bible talks about him uh, drinking wine in front of them. It simply reminds us of the responsibility that all of us have as leaders, Uh, because the phrase in front of them in the Aramaic really means he was elevated in front of them. In that, again, in that culture... Uh, the king or the leaders of the nation would literally be elevated on a platform above the other people, even at the feast or the banquet or the party. And so obviously, everyone was able to see their every move, their every action and, and reaction and everything. And it reminds us of the eyes of people who are on us, especially when we are in any kind of leadership position. Uh, even think about it as far as trying to put a picture in your mind of most weddings that have like a head table uh, where the bride and groom and bridal party are all sort of the center of attention, if you will. That's exactly what was happening here. Uh, King Belshazzar and a few others were elevated above everyone else in this great banquet hall. And then the Bible says, while under the influence of the wine, Belshazzar issued an order to bring in the gold and silver vessels. The phrase, under the influence, in the Aramaic simply means no discretion or judgment at this point. In other words, uh, it wasn't that he just had a little wine. It was at this point he was either drunk or on his way to being drunk. And it reminds us of the verse in Ephesians where Paul tells us to be not drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit. Allow the Spirit of God to be our influence, and especially our primary influence in our lives. And especially, if you are under the influence of alcohol, you certainly should have enough common sense and enough wisdom to not be making any major decisions. But we can see that King Belshazzar made a real major decision under the influence of the alcohol because he gave this order to bring in the gold and silver vessels or utensils, the ones that Nebuchadnezzar, his father, had confiscated from the temple in Jerusalem. 
And we're going to see that this doesn't end very well for Belshazzar. Uh, the one thing that I want to point out here is when he talks about the preciousness of the vessels, that uh, I don't think it's a stretch to remember that we are vessels of God as well. And God uh, calls us uh, the temple of the Holy Spirit. And just as God uh, was looking to see how these vessels were being cared for and used, uh, God certainly looks at the way we use our physical bodies uh, to bring honor and glory to Him because we are a vessel of God as well. And so the king and his nobles, together with his wives and his concubines, could drink from them. Verse 3, so they brought the gold and silver vessels that had been confiscated from the temple, the house of God in Jerusalem, and the king and his nobles, together with his wives and concubines, drank from them. And as they drank wine, they praised, they literally adored the gods of gold and silver, bronze, iron, and stone. And by doing this, they were mocking God. And the Bible says in Galatians, Paul says, God is not mocked. Whatever a man sows, that will he also reap. And certainly God is a very long-suffering and patient God. And there is much that he will, in a sense, put up with. But there comes a point where God says, enough is enough. I am not going to be mocked or disrespected uh, any longer. And that's exactly what we're going to see happen here, because in verse 5, the Bible again, to connect what was happening there with what's about to happen, so that everybody knows that, that in a sense, this is the consequence, the, the ultimate consequence of what's been happening, but especially what just happened, that at this very moment, and that again reminds us, folks, of how suddenly things can change in our lives. That we can be going along. I mean, think about it. Think about it in your own mind. This is the great King Belshazzar of Babylon. And, and he is just feasting. He's having a good time in his palace. And the wine is flowing. And everything seems good. And all of a sudden, God sends a hand into his life. And things change so dramatically. At that very moment, the fingers of a human hand appeared and wrote on the uh, plaster of the royal palace wall. Now, I want to slow down here because, again, God doesn't waste words. And there, there's a lot of what is going on here that I, I don't want us to miss tonight. First of all, why is the plaster of the royal palace wall the place where the writing took place? And what's significant about that? Well, again, when they unearthed, uh, Babylon and all of this, uh, they found that it was on these plaster walls that they would do artwork of all their great conquests. And it would be on these plaster walls where, in a sense, they would magnify themselves. And so think about the, even the place that God chooses to write the writing that he's going to write to Belshazzar. It's like, you know, you have all these great conquests, you're, you're basking, in a sense, in your own glory, uh, but, but I'm going to set the record straight and I'm going to show you exactly, you know, who's in charge here. And it's not you, King Belshazzar. Notice also the Bible says that this was done opposite the lampstand, literally in front of, of the lampstand, so that the lampstand illuminated the hand and the writing. 
It's as if God is showing us here, even by the, uh, the physical pieces that are in place, that, that God sheds His light as the light on sin and on the actions of man. And man can try to hide from God, can try to hide his actions and all of that from God. But God's word is light and God is light and God will illuminate the hearts and the actions and the deeds of man and will bring things to light that man tries to do in secret. So then the Bible goes on to say the king was watching the back of the hand that was writing And then all the color drained from the king's face. He literally grew pale. His appearance, his countenance changed. It was altered. And everyone now could see it. You see, just a few minutes before, he was elevated, drinking wine, having a good time. Everybody was watching the king have a good time. But now all of a sudden, again, because of the place that he's at, now all of a sudden, everybody can see him all of a sudden grow pale as, as well, and be shaken to his very core by what is happening. I don't know about you, but if we're standing here, or sitting here tonight in Bible study, and all of a sudden a hand appears behind me and starts writing something on the wall, yeah. So that's exactly what happened. And then the Bible said not only did the color drain from his face, he became alarmed, which simply means he was frightened out of his mind. And the joints of his hip gave way. Literally, his back locked up. When you and I, if you've ever been where, you know, just something, you hear news or you see something and and it's all of a sudden, you're just, you lock up. That's exactly what was happening here to Belshazzar. And then another phrase that could have its source in Daniel chapter 5 the knees knocking together. That's exactly what it says. His knees began knocking together. There's a real good leader, huh? Up there, elevated in front of everybody, and now all of a sudden it's, you know, for everybody to see. Just a minute before, everything was good. And now God has broke into his life and, uh, and judgment. Is coming. And then the Bible goes on to say, the king called out loudly to summon the astrologers, the wise men, and the diviners. Very interestingly, the phrase called out loudly really means strength, army, or power. It's as if the Bible is telling us that that from Belshazzar's perspective, his mindset, his strength, his army, his power was in all the resources that he had as the king of Babylon. The problem is because he didn't have the God of the Bible in his life, he really didn't have any strength, army, or power. He was grasping, he was reaching for something that was going to help, and he was going to find out very quickly nothing was going to help just like folks today they think their stability or security is in this or that other than God and when when some crisis or something happens and they start reaching for it and relying on it they realize it's not really as strong or firm or stable or secure as they thought it was and that's sort of where Belshazzar's at The other interesting thing is, I don't know about you, but as you read through the book of Daniel, do you ever think any of these leaders are going to get to the point where they realize calling on these guys doesn't make any, you know, how many times are you going to call on somebody that can't do anything for you? 
How many times are you going to call on somebody who's totally unreliable? Every time throughout the book of Daniel that the leaders of Babylon had a problem come up and they didn't know how to deal with it and they call all these people, they never could do anything. So why keep them around? And the thought that came into my mind was, God was, I think, just reminding me, Jeff, be careful that you don't keep making the same mistakes over and over in your life that you learn from them. And, the, and especially in relationships, if, if you keep relying on somebody who's unreliable, maybe you need to take a different look at that. Maybe if you're, if you're putting your trust in somebody who's not faithful and you get burned, maybe instead of keep going back getting burned, maybe... And that's exactly what the leaders of Babylon were not doing. They were not learning from the past. And we're going to certainly, there's the phrase that, you know, if, if we don't learn from our past, we, we then are going to end up repeating it. And it's not even learning from it as much as even responding to it. We're going to see that they simply didn't respond to what had gone on before. So with all of that said, the Bible says the king proclaimed to the wise men of Babylon that anyone who could read the inscription, disclose its interpretation, would be clothed in purple and have a golden collar placed on the neck and be third ruler in the kingdom. By the way, that's significant because that phrase alone reminds us that Nabonidus and Belshazzar were co-leading Babylon at this time. That we believe that Nabonidus was away from Babylon at this time. And so that whoever was going to be able to interpret this was going to end up third ruler behind Nabonidus, Belshazzar, and then whoever did it. So all the king's wise men came in. Here's a surprise. They were unable to read the writing or make known its interpretation to the king. Then King Belshazzar was very terrified. And he was visibly shaken, and his nobles were completely dumbfounded. We could drop off the word founded there and just say they were completely dumb. Due to the noise caused by the king and his nobles, the queen mother then entered the banquet room. Now there, there are many different ideas of who the queen or queen mother is, it it could very possibly be Belshazzar's wife or queen, if you will. But most believe, and I tend to believe it is either Nabonidus's wife or it is the wife of Nebuchadnezzar who is still alive, who's now passed off the scene. Who would either be, and I'm not trying to confuse you tonight, but again, there's no definitive answer to this really, uh, whether that was uh, his Belshazzar's father, Nebuchadnezzar, or his grandfather. In other words, there are some who believe Nebuchadnezzar was the grandfather, uh, then Nabonidus was Belshazzar's father, and then Belshazzar. That's very possible, but I'm not going to be dogmatic about that because there really is nothing definitive in the Bible or even extra-biblical that really would land that for us. One thing we do know for sure about this queen She knew about Daniel. And so the Bible says she entered the banquet room and she said, Oh, king, live forever. Again, words that probably at this point don't mean very much. But we say them anyway. And we've got to be careful about just saying things that we really don't mean, but we're just so used to saying them because Belshazzar was going to be dead before the night was over. 
oh, king, live forever really wasn't going to mean very much. But then she goes on to say, don't be alarmed, don't be shaken. Literally in the Aramaic, pull yourself together, king. Your whole nation is watching you up there on the elevated platform, just, oh, my goodness, you know. Pull yourself together. Get some composure. And then she says, verse 11, there is a man in your kingdom who has within him a spirit of the holy gods. And again, we've interpreted that word spirit as the mind of God. In the days of your father, he proved to have insight, literally light, discernment or insight and wisdom, which is the skill in living and managing life like that of the gods. King Nebuchadnezzar, your father, appointed him chief. Now, again, many will say, well, doesn't it say his father? In that culture, and even in the Aramaic and Hebrew language, the word father many times is used for anybody in the ancestral line. So you can't automatically say when they use the word father. For instance, Jewish people call Abraham Father Abraham. That doesn't mean he's literally their father. It meant he was their ancestor. So you can't take from that phrase that automatically that meant that Nebuchadnezzar was the father. It could have just meant an ancestor of Belshazzar. But King Nebuchadnezzar, your father appointed him chief of the magicians, astrologers, wise men, and diviners. Thus there was found in this man whom the king renamed Belshazzar, Belteshazzar, excuse me, an extraordinary spirit. The word extraordinary just means exceeding surpassing disposition. Again, there was something different about Daniel because Daniel was connected and walked with God. And he had knowledge and he had skill to interpret dreams. He could solve riddles. He could decipher naughty problems. Now summon Daniel and he will disclose the interpretation. So Daniel was brought in before the king, verse 13. The king says to Daniel, Are you that Daniel who is one of the captives of Judah? And in the Aramaic, it's as if, even though, again, the king was freaking out and he was was very much afraid and alarmed by what had happened, there was still that, you're just an exile. You're just a captive. You're you're of the, the lowest class whom my father, the king, brought from Judah. And it's if it's just so hard for for Belshazzar in his pride to just think that, could this guy really help me at all? Me? And, And how can I even, you know, ask him for help? Which is probably one of the reasons why, obviously, you probably thought the same thing as me, that somewhere between Nebuchadnezzar... And Belshazzar, Daniel was in some way probably demoted because he was such an integral part of Nebuchadnezzar's, you know, inner circle of influence. But obviously, Belshazzar, by this time, didn't even really know much about Daniel or at least didn't have Daniel in a place where he was consulting him at all. He was at a distance. And so... I want to point this out. Keep your finger there since I've got, I think, the time. Go back for just a moment before we dive into verse 14 of Daniel and go back to the book of Ecclesiastes. I love this passage in Ecclesiastes. It's in Ecclesiastes chapter 9. And this sort of reminded me of this passage when I, when I saw the attitude that Belshazzar had towards Daniel. Uh, 
not someone that he was going to easily take advice or counsel from simply because of who he was, or maybe who he wasn't, if you will. So I love this passage in Ecclesiastes chapter 9. It begins in verse 13, where Solomon says, This is what I also observed about wisdom on earth, and it is a great burden to me. And then he gives a story. He says, There was once a small city with a few men in it, and a mighty king attacked it besieging it and building strong siege works against it. However, a poor but wise man lived in the city, and he could have delivered the city by his wisdom, but notice, no one listened to that poor man. So I concluded that wisdom is better than might, but a poor man's wisdom is despised. No one ever listens to his advice. And it reminds us that the way the world is set up, if you will, the way the pecking order goes in the world, that that many times people who don't come from, in a sense, uh, position or power or influence or wealth or anything else, sometimes they can see right through something, and those who are in leadership don't have a clue, but they're not going to listen to those people because they're not part of the elite. By the way, I don't know whether you've been what news stations or whatever you watch, but just the other day I was watching one of the news stations and uh, they were talking about the fact that uh, there's a a real new sort of uh, push out there and why it's coming now. I think I have a few ideas, but uh, a real push right now uh, that uh, anyone who reads and studies the book of Revelation is an idiot. I guess we're going to start being idiots at the Oasis come May. Uh, because we're going to start studying the book of Revelation in May. Uh, But it just goes back again to that sort of intellectual elitism that uh, many people who reject God or reject the Bible feel like, uh, we've, we've got the brains to figure all this out. We don't need God and we don't need his word. And, and that's sort of the attitude of Belshazzar. And that's the attitude illustrated here in Ecclesiastes by this town that could have been delivered by this poor man, but nobody was going to listen to the poor man because he was poor even though he was much wiser than they were. It reminds us that wisdom doesn't come through, you know, this and that. It comes through us being connected to God and walking with God. That's how we gain wisdom. So back to the book of Daniel. Daniel chapter 5. Very interestingly, after he says that in verse 14, King Belshazzar says, I have heard about you. Very interesting, the word about means over and over. In other words, Belshazzar is admitting to Daniel, I've heard about you over and over. The problem is he's heard about him, but never really had a relationship with him. And the thing that just sort of leaped off the page to me was God reminding me and and I think wanting me to remind all of us that there are many people in that category too, down through history about God. They know about God, but they don't know God in a personal way. And it does no good to know about God or to have heard about God over and over again if I'm not personally related to Him. 
There's a difference between knowing about something and truly knowing something. By experiencing it yourself on that level. I mean, we all know that. We can read, for instance, you guys know about my love of history, especially the Civil War. I read about, I read books on Gettysburg and the Battle of Gettysburg all my life. But when you go to that battlefield and you walk through Devil's Den and, and you go up to Little Round Top and, and you see all of it and you experience it for yourself, there is a knowledge gained through first-hand experience that you could never gain through reading about uh, through a thousand books. And that's where Belshazzar's at. I've heard about Daniel, but I don't know him in a personal way. All of us need to be careful that, that even as Christ followers, we're not just learning about Christ, but we are experiencing firsthand Christ through our own walk with him and relationship with him each and every day. And then he goes on to say, I've heard about you, that there is a spirit in the, of the gods in you, how you have insight, discernment, and extraordinary wisdom. Now the wise men and astrologers were brought before me to read this writing and make known to me its interpretation. But they were unable to disclose the interpretation of the message. However, I have heard that you are able to provide interpretations and to decipher naughty problems. Literally, the words decipher naughty problems in my translation in the Aramaic means to untie knots. Daniel was able to untie difficult knots. Or you could solve difficult problems. However, But I do love that picture of untying difficult knots. And he wasn't able to do that on his own. He did that through the insight, the discernment, and the wisdom that God gave him. God is looking for people today that he can entrust that kind of wisdom to. So that you and I have wisdom, even on an everyday level, to be able to untie difficult knots in our life. Because life will bring about seasons where we will be in a knot. Maybe our shorts won't be in a knot, but we'll be in a knot. And we need to learn how to untie that knot, if you will, and solve difficult problems. Now, if you are able to read this writing and make known to me its interpretation, you will wear purple and have a golden collar around your neck and be third ruler in the kingdom. And again, this sounds no different than sort of the, uh, the reward that Nebuchadnezzar had offered to Daniel before. But no, notice something here tonight. Notice the difference in Daniel's demeanor and attitude and disposition towards Belshazzar that he didn't display towards Nebuchadnezzar. Daniel replied to the king, keep your gifts and give your rewards to someone else. However, I will read the writing for the king and make known its interpretation. Why Why does Daniel deal with Belshazzar differently than he does Nebuchadnezzar? I believe because Daniel saw, by again, the own relationship that he had with Nebuchadnezzar, that even though Nebuchadnezzar had some strange ideas and, and he wasn't there yet and he hadn't, that he was open and that he would be willing to listen to Daniel and that he was open to what God was trying to do in his life. And we certainly saw that played out. That eventually, even through the humbling of God, Nebuchadnezzar, I believe, opened up his heart to God and became a God follower. And I believe he believed in Jehovah God. 
I think what Daniel is doing here is showing us that you, you and I shouldn't handle everybody the same. Each person we have to handle with, again, the wisdom and the leading of the Spirit of God. And Daniel knew from God that this was not somebody who, uh, who we need to spend a lot of time on, you know, enabling them to continue th- their bad behavior. From God's perspective, this one was done. And, and he didn't want his gifts, because Daniel, I think, had the insight that the Babylonian Empire was about to crumble and the Medes and Persians were about ready to come in. Now, again, it shows, too, that each situation and each person is different. God obviously gave Nebuchadnezzar and has given others and given us, you know, time to second chances and time to repent. But there also comes that point with everybody where, just like the ark, uh, the door on the ark closing, that there does come that point where God says, enough is enough. I've given you plenty of time. I've given you plenty of light. I've given you plenty of witness. Enough. It's done. And I think Daniel had the insight from God that he knew Belshazzar's kingdom and Belshazzar's reign was done. And there wasn't going to be another chance for Belshazzar. So that's why he didn't get really excited about all the gifts, because he knew that the Medes and Persians were going to come in and going to take over anyway. As for you, O king, verse 18, the Most High God bestowed on your father Nebuchadnezzar a kingdom greatness, honor, and majesty. He goes down and talks about all the stuff that that Belshazzar would have known because he would have known this either firsthand, either because Nebuchadnezzar was his father or his grandfather, or if nothing else, was the leader of the country. Everybody knew about it. But I want you to notice something for the sake of time. I want you to go over to verse 22. Daniel finally says, after he sort of rehearses the history of Nebuchadnezzar, says, but you, his son Belshazzar, have not humbled yourself. Although, and here's the key, you knew all this. Wow. See, what Daniel is saying, what God is saying through Daniel is, you knew. You had an example before you of someone who exalted themselves above God or against God and how God had humbled them, and yet you never learned from history. You never learned from the example of Nebuchadnezzar. You never responded to what God did in someone else's life and and did something different in your life, even though you knew this. And wow, I don't know about you, but probably... Out of all the phrases and verses in Daniel chapter 5, for me personally, that one meant more to me uh, than any others. Because to me, God was saying, Jeff, the things you know, act on them. Act on the things you know. Act on what you know. Act on these things. Don't, Don't sit back and do not let... The working of God and the Word of God make no impact on your life. That's why it's so dangerous for folks to come to a church that preaches the Word of God and do nothing with it. Because by coming to a church that does teach the Word of God and doing nothing with it, we actually put ourselves in a worse place than if we didn't hear it at all. Because if we hear it and if we know it, then God holds us responsible for it. And that's exactly what was happening with Belshazzar. He knew better. He knew all of this, and yet it never made a difference in his 
life. God help all of us who know what the Word of God says, who knows what the will of God is, not to do what we know God wants us to do. Instead, Daniel said, you have exalted yourself against the Lord of heaven. You brought before you the vessels from his temple. You and your nobles, together with your wives and concubines, drank wine from them. You praised the gods of silver, gold, bronze, iron, wood, and stone. Gods that cannot see or hear or comprehend. And you have not glorified the God who has in his control, in his power, your very breath and all your ways. That's a sobering statement, isn't it? Daniel's reminding Belshazzar, you may be the king of the world right now, but there is the king of kings who's over you. And he even controls your heart, your lungs. He gives you the breath to breathe, and you have not bothered to acknowledge him in any way. Therefore, the palm of the hand was sent from him, and this writing was inscribed. This is the writing that was inscribed. Mine, mine, tekel, and farsin. This is the interpretation of the words. As for mine, God has numbered your kingdom days and brought it to an end. It reminds us that God has assigned or appointed days for kingdoms and for men. The Bible teaches that God knew how many days Jeff Royce was going to live before Jeff Royce was ever born. God has all of our days Numbered, if you will, and kingdoms and nations numbered as well. As for Tekel, you are weighed on the balances and found to be lacking. Literally in the Aramaic, it means deficient. King Belshazzar, the king of the world, the king of the most powerful nation, Babylon, deficient? What am I deficient in? Would be the same answer as many people of power and wealth today. What am I deficient in? I've got everything I need. I've got all this. I've got this palace. I've got everything. But from God's perspective, Belshazzar didn't have the one thing that was the most important thing. And that was a relationship with God. So in spite of all that Belshazzar and his kingdom had, God said, after weighing you, deficient. You're lacking. You're without because you don't have me in your life. And as for Perez, your kingdom is divided, literally broken in two. And obviously that means the Medes and the Persians given over to them. Then on Belshazzar's orders, Daniel was clothed in purple. A golden collar was placed around his neck and he was proclaimed third ruler in the kingdom. In that very night, Belshazzar, the Babylonian king, was killed. So Darius the Mede took control of the kingdom when he was about 62 years old. One other point that I would like to make tonight before we wrap this up. They tell us from history that the, that the way the Medes and the Persians, in a sense, got into Babylon and was able to get past their defenses, well, one reason was because obviously the leadership was totally clueless to what was really going on. They were parting while their nation was crumbling. And here's the real reason why. The Medes and the Persians had built subterranean tunnels and chambers underneath the kingdom of Babylon. And so they were going to come up and surprise the Babylonians from underneath. 
And I couldn't help but think that God was reminding me by that picture of how the Babylonians were defeated by the Medes and the Persians eventually, that that's what we as a nation and that's what we as individuals and as families, that's what we have to be aware of. That we get so weak from within and then we allow something to come in, if you will, from the back door or where we're not looking. You know, we're looking for the enemy to come here and the enemy's coming from behind or underneath. And it reminds us that there may be things in our lives, sinkholes, if you will, places of weakness that we're not paying attention to. And yet, could that be where the enemy attacks? Could that be where the enemy comes? Could that be where our downfall is? And yet, we're like the king. We're over here having a good time. We're just pretending like that doesn't exist. And all of a sudden, one day, we're going to suffer the consequences because we allowed the enemy to come in and begin digging tunnels underneath our life, weakening the foundation of our life from underneath. And that's exactly how the Medes and the Persians overtook the Babylonians. Folks, Daniel is just a book of of great principles and great insight into how to live. And it's also a warning to all of us. That we need to, as God's people, wake up and not allow our lives and and things to begin to, to wear away at the foundation of our lives. Keep the foundation of your life strong with God. And if you begin to sense or see that there is some area that it is beginning to, to be a place where the enemy is coming, then ask God for His help and grace and strength and wisdom to be able to, to shore that area up so that the enemy doesn't continue to make a foothold and gain a foothold and make progress uh, to bring you down and to bring all of us down in that area. That's certainly the message, uh, one of the messages from Daniel chapter 5. Next week, we look at a passage that, for many of us, we've heard since we were knee-high to a grasshopper, Daniel and the lion's den. But I'm going to try to uh, share some things about that very familiar passage that may, again, help us to see it Uh, with a new perspective and a new set of eyes next week. Hope you'll come back next Tuesday for Daniel chapter 6. Let's close in prayer. God, thank you for these warnings and reminders. God, help us to, to not be like Belshazzar, who had all of this knowledge and yet never did anything with it who saw the way you dealt with Nebuchadnezzar, who saw how you humbled him, who saw how you worked, even through Daniel and others, and yet totally disregarded it. God, may we be a people that are sensitive to you, to your working not only in our lives, but in the lives of others. And help us to take from our own experiences throughout life and our own walk with you and and the Word of God and the leading of the Spirit of God to, to act upon it and respond to it all. God, just help us to be obedient. Help us to do what you're asking us to do. And you're not going to be a God that overwhelms us and comes into our life and and says to Jeff Royce, Jeff, here's a hundred things I want you to focus on. 
you're a God that no matter what is going on in my life, you will primarily zero in on one or two things, something manageable that I can begin to take responsibility for and that I can begin to work on, again, with your spirit and your word and all of the spiritual resources that you've given. And so God, help us tonight, maybe to all come away from this time together. Say, God, what, what is it in my life that you want me truly to, to focus on and, and to, to build up? Maybe it's an area of weakness where the enemy is continually and constantly assailing me and attacking me. And God, I, I need to be aware of this and I need to make some changes. So God, whatever that is, just help us to obey you as you lead and guide us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Folks, thanks for being here tonight. God bless you. See you on Sunday.